Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So I, I, I wrote the, the bones of this uh, message back in December. The Lord gave me two messages in, in one go. It was like a, like a buffet. <laughs> and uh, he said to me, this particular one, he said to me, share it in the new year. I didn't know what date, but he said, don't share it into the new year. We then come into, I messaged pastor, I said, look, that's the only instruction I have. A place called Secret for the new year. Come into the new year and we had a date. That date got pushed back. And as is my custom, when things like that happen, it'll be easy to think that's a mistake. But I asked the Lord, I said, okay, what was your intention behind this? Now, what I didn't know was that he called me to a particular fast during January. Um, and what I didn't know was during that fast, he was going to help me live this. So what I'd written now became what I'd lived. And so what I might have thought was a delay or oh, maybe we got the date wrong. No, it's intentional. And then we come into church and pastor's saying, and he's talking about the end times, things to come. I said, Lord, why would you ask me to share about a place called Secret? And then the next week we go into the end times. Doesn't make sense. Ah, it does. Because the only way we can navigate what's to come is to get this in first. So I say that not to pat myself on the back and in any kind of way like that, but just to encourage you, if you're here today, well, you are obviously, but anyone listening to this, please understand why it's been said. The what may be familiar to you. These are, th- I'm looking around the worship now. I know you guys know about the secret place. I know you know how to encounter him. Yet still there is more. That's what I found. So it's very intentional of the Father to have this message go out first. And because I didn't want to ramble and get caught up in the emotion of it, because you know when I speak about this secret place, it's very emotional, I decided to put my notes together in a PowerPoint. So we're going to go to school today, okay? I'm going to keep myself on track. Uh, if there's any um, Ofsted investigators in here in the building, uh, please just leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so um, if you're taking notes, this is the title, A Place Called Secret. A Place Called Secret. And the first scripture we're going to start with, I've put the scriptures up there, but you don't have to read it from there. They are quite small, just because I had to try to do the formatting on the PowerPoint. Um, so, so you can turn to it in your Bible if you want, or you can just listen to me read it. Um, again, for the visual learners, it is there behind us, hopefully. So Acts 17, 26 to 27, and this is an incredible scripture that I remember Pastor, I heard Pastor preach this, or use it in a prayer, about 10, 12 years ago. I never heard it before, and it just struck me. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. Verse 27, why did he do this? This was so that they would seek God. So everything's been put in place, everything's been determined so that we would seek God. If perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, 
though he is not far from each one of us. We sing a song here, one breath away or a breath away. He literally is just a breath away. In that one word, Jesus, you can transform a whole life. You can transform a whole situation. You can transform a whole nation. He is just one word away, one breath away. And everything has been set up. We'll look in this in a little bit more detail a little bit later. Everything has been set up on earth. Everything's been determined. The boundaries, the territory, the lands, everything has been put into order for one purpose, that every man on earth would seek him. So if anyone ever comes to you and says, could you pray for me, Sister Abby? I don't know my purpose in life. Boom. Seek God. Seek him. Start with that. Let's start there and see what happens. You may end up becoming a nurse. You may end up becoming a musician. You may may end up in, in corporate banking. But seek God. Because we need corporate bankers who can seek God. We need nurses who seek God. We need educators who seek God. We need musicians who seek God. Please, we need musicians who seek God. So this is the purpose of life, is to seek God. It really makes things quite simple. When I wake up in the morning, what do I do? Seek God. What about the next day? Well, I'm just going to seek God. What about the day after that? Seek God. See, we're in class. See, (laughs) this is the student we like. He's ahead. He's already read notes. Done the pre-reading. This is what I say. Proximity is the desire of the man reborn. Okay? When we were regenerated, when we were saved, we become a new man. All of a sudden, this yearning becomes even more keener in our hearts. We may have felt the shadow of it. We may have felt the, the echo of it. But all of a sudden, this yearning to be close to him. This is why Jesus says in John 17, 3, when he's praying, he says, uh, this is eternal life that you may know him and him who he sent. I love in the Amplified it says that you may perceive, recognize, and become acquainted with him, the Father, and him that he sent. So proximity, closeness, nearness to God is the desire of the man reborn. Now I wrote this. The gap between modern Christendom and true authentic kingdom expression will be bridged by those who fan the flames of devotion. It was never the intention of the Father to give over the treasures of the kingdom to those who would cheapen it by not making the necessary personal sacrifices in secret. Only those who, having recognized the superiority of the devoted life, proceed to arrange their lives with his presence at its absolute center will inherit the promised blessings that his fire brings. Let's say it one more time. Only those who, having recognized the superiority of the devoted life, proceed to arrange their lives with his presence at its absolute center will inherit the promised blessings that his fire brings. To deny oneself and dwell in the place called secret is a high calling that must be embraced daily. The fire that burns there is the fire that consumes, recreates, and revives. Look what it says here. He will not... He's not going to give over the treasures of the kingdom to those who are cheaping it by not making the necessary personal sacrifice. It's, it's you know, we talk, what's the song say? Your presence is precious to me. We have to understand, and, and I say this all the time, that 
gets me all choked up. A man died so that I could walk into his presence. Someone had to lose their life, not just anyone, but even if it was just someone. But I'm talking about the only begotten son of the father who denied himself and poured himself into human flesh. You know the story. If that hadn't happened, Matthew 27 verse 50, if he doesn't yield his spirit and, and, and what does it say? It says, and he, he screamed with a loud voice and died. Then verse 51 doesn't happen when it says the veil in the temple were torn in two. All of a sudden there was a way in because a man had to die for this. So why would the father cheapen it by pouring out lavishly for those who are not willing to make the necessary sacrifices? And that is the demand that's been placed on us as, as Christians in this time. Will you make the necessary sacrifices? Let me be honest. The past two years was a breeze compared to what's coming. Okay, Read the book. It's in there. But we made the necessary sacrifices. And as we continue to adjust and have our lives with the presence at its absolute center, we then inherit the promised blessings. What does it say? The presence of God is a hiding place of his power. That's in Habakkuk. In the book of Psalms, it's talking about in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Okay? The peace that passes all understanding that guards your heart and mind, I'm telling you, is found in the presence of God. The wisdom. Christ has become for us wisdom. So where do you need to go? Where Christ is. Come on. So it must be embraced daily because like I said, the fire that burns there is the fire that consumes recreates and revives Damon Thompson who's leading a revival out in Carolina he says this devotion trumps both production and performance okay devotion trumps both production and performance does anyone know what this phrase means rewilding I mentioned it before a few years ago anyone no? any gardeners out there anyone interested in that stuff Nate, do you know what rewilding is? Another man who's done his pre-reading. Thank you, guys. Reintroducing something into its natural habitat. Okay, so when they're rewilding a pack of lions, they would take it to the safari, um, into the sorry, the Sahara Desert, or anyway, somewhere in Africa. <laughs> you can tell I didn't do the pre-reading. I just got the notes. And they'd release it into its natural habitat and leave it. And for the first however many days, months, whatever, it would act as if it's still in captivity. Maybe it would only walk a certain distance. But at a certain point, the lion finds its roar. And all of a sudden, that which was enslaved remembers it was a king. Okay? So... Rewilding. God is all for rewilding. He's a gardener. We know this from Genesis 1, 2, 3 and beyond. Okay? So he's all about rewilding. He places us in our natural habitat in order to bring forth who we actually really are. Where does he do this? Matthew 4, 1 gives us a little intro. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's interesting, the first question that was asked of Jesus, if you are the son of God, 
if you are who you truly are, this is the time where I'm coming to test it. If everything God does is an act of perfect love and goodness, how do we explain the wilderness? Especially from a classical Pentecostal uh, theological standpoint, we've always been taught the wilderness is the dry place. We've been taught the wilderness is a barren place. How's life? Just going through a real wilderness season right now. You know, pray for me as I pray for you. We've heard it a thousand times before. <laughs> but what does it really mean to be in the wilderness? Does it mean what we've come to accept it means, or does it mean what the scripture reveals it to mean? I believe Matthew 4 1 is placed in the Bible to give us insight to the rewilding process. Because if you come to me and say, oh, I'm in a wilderness season, I'll say, oh, is it like Jesus's when the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness? Are you okay with admitting that the Holy Spirit led you into that season? Into that place, into that moment, into that situation? I believe, you know, it's placed there in other examples. We'll look at another one in a moment. To give us insight into the rewilding process which the Lord uses to the wilderness to birth. Like I said, rewilding. It is to reintroduce something to its natural habitat in order to bring forth its nature. We look back in the book of Exodus. And God used the wilderness to transform a generation of slaves into a generation of sons. I've spoken about this before. If you took a generation of slaves to Jericho and said, walk around in silence once every day and on the seventh day seven times, then scream... The generation of slaves sees that as work. The generation of sons sees that as faith. It's the same action, same instruction, but slaves hear it as work. Sons hear it as faith. It took 40 years in the wilderness for God to introduce Israel to who Israel was. What was the instruction he gave Moses? Bring my people here that they may worship me. <clears throat> it was all about them rediscovering his presence. Not that there wasn't a presence that they encountered in, in Egypt. We know, you know from the story of the plagues, whilst there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in Goshen. They would have had an awareness of the presence of God. They would have still offered up their sacrifices, would have still had their customs, would have still you know, done their best to encounter the Prince God in their homes, etc., etc. But there was a process that had to happen to pull them out of where they were into this place which others call a wilderness, but I would say it was the Garden of Eden. It may not have been a physical garden, but Eden means the place of his presence. Look at any description of the Israelites in the wilderness. There is no evidence to suggest they were there by themselves. The fire or the cloud was at the center of their camp. If you look at the drawing of how the camp was laid out, it was laid out on a cross with the presence of God at its middle, foreshadowing how we should live our lives in the image of the cross with the presence at the middle. I like the fact that any time a, a, a warrior tribe would come over the mountains to attack Israel, as they would look over, you know, they get send their scouts, they send their scouts out, what do you see? I see a cross and fire in the middle. Could it not be said of our lives that when the enemy comes and looks, sends his scouts, can I get, can I get them? 
he sees a cross with the fire of God's presence at its middle. Come on, like, this is reality. I'm not talking about a far-fetched dream. It was once a dream in the Father's heart, but Christ made it real. Christ made it possible that your life could be lived in the shape of a cross with the Prince of God in its middle. That is what the enemy sees every time. That's what causes him trepidation. That's what causes him to doubt. Maybe, oh, maybe I won't be able to get in this time. And even if he decides to launch a full-out assault, the cross with the prince in the middle. To a generation of slaves who'd been in their own little houses, separate, came out and all of a sudden they're thrust by his instruction into a camp the shape of a cross. And in the place of his presence, a.k.a. Eden, this was the site by which he trained his children to walk again with the presence of God at the center of their existence, just as Adam, the son of God, had done. Again, could it not be said of us, having emerged from the past two years, we've come out of our houses, out of our huts, come out of the doings of church, the doings of Christianity, all the Christianese, all the hypocrisy, all the false kingdom stuff we were doing before. Not, not, not us here, obviously. The other Christian. No. Um, of course not us. But, you know, we, we all had idols. We all had things that we were exalting above Christ, maybe. You know, it could have been church itself. Churchianity, that's what I call it. Where the kingdom of church is exalted above the kingdom of Jesus, where we have more celebrities. <laughs> it pains my heart to think something so precious could have been so perverted. Not my Jesus. Let's not do that to him again, please. Let's not crucify him again. Commission sang a song about that. If you don't know about Commission, do some YouTube research. Um, let's not crucify him again. Let's not have to go through this again. He's already done everything that he needed to do to give us a camp in the shape of a cross with the presence at its center. Why would we elevate a pulpit above a presence? Why? Which preacher died for you? Except one. Let him be the focus. Yes, I'm not saying you can't listen to anyone else on YouTube or Ustream, Zoom, Teams, whatever it is. Go get your food. But eat at the feet of Christ. Come on, let's not... Let's not do this again. Let's not make the same mistakes that we've made for generations where we would start with revival, Azusa, and then we'd get into whatever we got into just under 100 years later. It took 100 years for us to leave the fire of Azusa into what we call church with no fire. And we were okay because our emotions got tingled. And my thing is, if we were okay with what we had before, 
We only need to look into the annals of time to see in Azusa Street what they had there, and that should be enough to whet the appetite. If I was getting by on what I had before, then man, imagine if I had Azusa. Imagine if I had Eden. Imagine if every time people walked in here, sickness flew off them. It's, it's great that we've had fire tunnels. It's great we've laid hands on the sick and they have recovered. But what about when they walk through the door and bang? What about that? What does it say in the scripture? The presence of God was present to heal. The power of God was present to heal. When Jesus would preach the word, sickness would just boom, 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 boom. The ones we know about were the ones put in there just to give us some context. But John says there's many more guys, like seriously, I couldn't tell you all of them. <laughs> Got stories for days. Got this, so I didn't preach, but right, where am I? Just as Adam, the son of God, had once done, let's go into a little bit more detail, yeah? Exodus 33 11. It's impossible to do any sermon series on the Prince of God without touching on Exodus 33, I believe. One of the clearest examples of a man in relationship with God in the way we need to be. And so the Lord used to speak to, used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man would speak to his friend. I mean, that's enough of a sermon starter right there. I mean, that's not even the point of why I put this scripture in, but that's enough of a starter there. He used to speak to Moses before the cross as a man would speak face to face with his friend. Face to face with his friend. But look at this. When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Interesting. Joshua qualified as the one chosen to take on the new by being prepared to live beyond the comfortable and the expected. Remember, this was a generation of people who had grown up in the wilderness. The Bible says that the generation that left Egypt died in the wilderness and God raised up a new one. So where the last time the Israelites had seen, an, seen a city, it was the one that they were building with their own bricks. Now they come up against a city which, by all accounts, would have been one of the wonders of the ancient world. With walls so thick you could fit a house in it and do chariot races on the top. It's what the archaeologists have described, they're, they're literally a racetrack around the top of Jericho. And now Israel, who have spent their whole time with manna and quail and, you know, warrior tribes coming over, we beat them up and then they go and then it's guerrilla warfare as it were. Now they've got to go against something they've never seen before. They have no reference for, they have no example for. This was a new tactic and the man chosen to lead them was the man who by habit in the secret place had learned to stay a while he learned to stay a little while that extra five that extra 10 that extra 15 that extra bit of uncomfortable yes i know moses the one who speaks because face to face like a man would speak with his friend he's left you would think that would be your cue oh he's gone all right cool I'm out. 
But when Moses would leave, something within Joshua had him desire to speak and stay in a place called secret. And I believe that was the distinction by which he qualified as being the one to hear the instruction of the Lord about Jericho. Like I said, walk around once a day, seven days, and the seventh day, walk around seven times and scream. And he heard that as faith. Even in that, um, is it Joshua 6, I believe, even when he got that tactic from, from Jesus, you know, quite stuffily, um, even when he had that encounter, it says that, and Joshua walked outside and further than the camp. Exodus 33, if you read it earlier, it says that Moses' tent was placed outside the camp. So there was a habit. There was a discipline formed within Joshua. If I need him, I need to go beyond the camp. We may walk a hundred steps, but talk to me if you are one of the ones who'd walk 101 to find it. I want to be around those who will go the nth degree, go to the extra mile, that will go even further to find him because they are going to be the ones like Joshua entered into the Hall of Fame. We realize Joshua never lost a battle. There is no recorded document of Joshua ever losing a battle. I wonder why. Who did he spend his time with? The one who'd never lost a battle. So if you want to know your 10 steps to victory, here's number one. Hang out with Jesus. <laughs> Hang out with Jesus. Get with the one who's never lost a battle. There you go. TD on some, you know, CD, tape, whichever way you want to download it. There you go. We've overcomplicated this thing. Just, well, the pastor says it all the time, it cracks me up. I now say it at school. If we ever trip up and do something right, <laughs> just make it simple. Be with him. Be with him. I don't, I don't know my purpose. Be with him. I don't know how to win in this situation. Be with him. We'll give you the principles and all that stuff after. We'll tell you how to pray in tongues. We'll tell you lay hands on this one, this one, all that stuff. We'll do the oil stuff later. We'll do all that kind of stuff. But let it first be said that you are with him. I remember the um, first leadership role I had at a church in Birmingham. I was only 19, and they put me on a leadership team. And I was like, wow, okay. And the first lady that came to me, um, she was like, oh, you know, can I speak to you? And um, she was in her mid-40s, maybe. And she told me how she had um, fallen out of love with the faith. That was it, Dave. I'm ready to go. It's my first counseling bit. <laughs> 19 years old. I'm like, wow. So, talk to me. What, what do I do? And literally from the spirit himself, he said, tell her to come back in two weeks after making the intention to stick with me. Listen, um, Holy Spirit just wants you just to spend some time with him, two weeks, and then let's have another discussion. I'm 33 now, she's still walking with the Lord. She said to me, she goes, <laughs> as she came back, she says, something happened. All of a sudden, I found him in a new way. And that fire is still burning. Still burning. Just get with him. 
the place called secret calls us. It's, it's like I said at the beginning, proximity is the desire of the man reborn. If you are of Christ, you will feel it. You felt it during the worship. There's something pulling me in. When we stayed on that chord and Nate started playing that glory sound, all of a sudden, everyone, I saw people at the back turn. This is one of the most beautiful things you see in as a worship leader when they turn away from you and worship in their own little area. I saw that. I saw people fall to their knees. I saw people just lose themselves somewhere. Good. Thank you. We're in. And we're never going to leave. Glory. What is this word, glory? So we talked about, here's a bit of a recap. Like I said, um, the Father will not cheapen the treasures of the kingdom by those who are not willing to make the personal sacrifices. The wilderness is not a season to be feared, it's a season to be embraced because the wilderness is actually his Eden where he rewilds us into who we really are. We see that in Exodus 33, we see it in Matthew 4. And we come out of that. Are you a child of God? I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. Are you ready, equipped to take a Jericho? Are you equipped to take something you've never seen before? Are you ready to take on these end times that we're going to start talking about more in church? Yeah, because I've been with him. Is my life in the shape of a cross with the presence of God at its center? Yes, it is. It took me 10 years, took me five years, took me 40 years, but I'm at this place and now I can live life in this glory. There are two scriptures I use to amplify this word glory. John 17, 22. Um, this is Jesus praying. It says, Father, I've given to them the glory and honor which you've given me, that they may be one just as we are one. For context, remember in John 1 it says, and we... Um, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God. There was something about the glory of God when it's upon an individual that it speaks to intimacy. He said here, I've given them glory. Why? That they may be one. So in Christ's eyes, glory and oneness, I would almost say they're interchangeable. Because the oneness he walked in that of only the begotten Son of God, it's referred to earlier in John as, as a glory. We beheld his glory. It was a particular type of glory. It was the glory only the only begotten Son of God could walk in. And then he says 17 chapters later, I'm giving it to them. That they may, right, that's why I love the scripture later on. I think it's still John again. As he is, so are we. In this world. See, I love that. See, the Holy Spirit is very intentional. He didn't want us to put off that as he is, so are we, into a realm that we couldn't control. So instead of leaving it to us to interpret and go, oh yeah, that's for when we get to heaven, right? No, he says, in this world, in this life. So we're made one with him because of the cross, like I explained earlier. But in 2 Corinthians 3, I think it's 18, and we all with unveiled face continually seeing in the mirror the glory of the Lord are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory into even more glory which comes from the Lord 
who is the Spirit. When we hear that phrase, glory to glory, you may have heard it in a song once. When we hear that phrase, glory to glory, we often think about higher and higher. It just has that kind of, it evokes that image in your head, higher and higher. And I'm not saying that image is wrong. But to go higher and higher in the glory of God is actually to go deeper and deeper. It's like the love of God. To experience more, you must go deeper. It defies all laws of physics. <laughs> so we have these two scriptures which give us a context. Christ is praying and he says, I'm giving them a glory that they may be one. Then this other scripture talks about we're being transformed from glory to glory. So I submit to you, can it not be that we're being transformed from one degree of intimacy, one degree of oneness, to another degree of intimacy, to another degree of oneness? So, reflecting over the past two years, we have been changed from glory to glory. So it doesn't matter whether my bank balance has increased or not, because again, that's a challenge when we see it as higher to higher. It's easy to look at our bank balance, which may not have changed, maybe it has, but maybe it hasn't, maybe it's got worse. And we say, well, maybe there was no glory on that. But I ask you this, do you now trust God with your finances now more than you did two years ago? If your answer is yes, you've gone from glory to glory. Because you've gone from one degree of oneness to a deeper degree of oneness. It's just a matter of time before it shows up. But I won't define the level of glory I walk in by what Santander say. This is not like I get like I said at the beginning. Santander didn't die for me. <laughs> Trust me, they didn't. <laughs> they just take, take, take. Anyway, um, again, if anyone listening works for Santander, God bless you. Um, some of your details we can have a special arrangement. <laughs> but we go from one degree of glory to another, one degree of oneness to another. So if I see you now and I hear the way you pray, I'm like, whoa, that's been somewhere. Whether, whether that loved one has saved you or not, whether the sickness has left their body or not, you've gone from glory to glory. You've gone from one degree of oneness to another degree of oneness. And you know what the great thing about it is? There's another degree of oneness. And then after that, there's another degree of oneness. And there's another one. And we have all of eternity discovering what these degrees of glory look like. And I don't want to wait till I get there. Because as he is, so are we. So I now have the opportunity, as I walk into work tomorrow, to display to them what one degree of glory looks like. And should I spend time with God, get with him, learn from him, receive, adopt, appropriate, learn, you know, as you do when he speaks to you. I'm going with him in private and in two months' time I walk into work and they see another degree of glory. I've already had testimonies at work where they say, how did you get that idea? Well, let me tell you the story real quick. There was, um, I worked with an atheist. I work with quite a few. But... Um, I worked with one in particular who was very anti-church, anti-Christ, in the sense of his mindset. Not he wasn't the anti-Christ himself. <laughs> <laughs> <Just a boy. laughs> 
You never know who's going to listen. <laughs> Just going to make sure he does. Hey, dude, you good. Um. Anyway, so he had a very anti-Christ mindset, okay? I'm just going to stop saying that. Um, and we, we never really spoke about it. He knew I went to church on a Sunday. He knew I had my wall in church. Never really spoke about it until one time another member of staff challenged him on why he believed what he believed. Turns out he was in church when he was younger, a lot of abuse, seen a lot of things, walked away from it. And they're having this conversation. I'm just listening in the background. And then she turns to me and says, Dave, you're a Christian, right? The layup. The alley-oop. That was it. That was the throw. Just need to catch it, take it to the end zone, touchdown. So I said, Super Bowl week next week. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? What's up? What are you talking about? Why do you believe what you believe? How do you know it's real? And then my man turned around in his chair. I said, how do I know it's real? I said, well, you know it's real. What do you mean? How do you, what do you mean I know it's real? I don't believe. Well, remember last week when those boys were struggling with that piece of work and I came up with that idea, that revision exercise, and it helped them? And every single one of you said, how did you get that idea? Before I walked into that room, I was next door and I just quickly prayed. The idea came, I walked in, took the lesson. So whether you believe him or not, you have been benefiting from his existence. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, and do you remember two weeks ago, that other exercise, and you guys said I plucked it out of the air? I kind of did. But let me tell you what. You call air. I call Holy Spirit. And I took them systematically through all these moments in the two, three years I've been working there where they couldn't... They are like, that, oh, that really worked. How did you know to do that? Why did you think of that? Oh, before that, I was walking around the corridor praying in tongues. They had no answer. Because they've seen the evidence, they've seen the fruit. They've seen what comes of one who would devote his life, who would not cheapen the principle by not making the personal sacrifices. They've seen it, they've tasted and seen that the Lord was good. So now it's up to you whether you believe in him or not, because the evidence is there. Not in a weird kind of way where it kind of freaks you out. Like, oh, why are you jumping around and, and talking in a language I don't understand? No, you've seen it in practical, it helped you at work. So it's your choice. Do you want him or not? And then my boss comes to me a few months later telling me about her back, severe back issues. I'm going to pray for you. Okay, thanks, Dave. So I prayed. I prayed. Not there and then. You know, I didn't lay hands on I didn't feel led to do that. That would have been interesting. So I'm going to pray for you. Weeks later, Hey, you had your back. You know what? I've not had no issues in that. Since you said you were going to pray for me. Okay, cool. Come back after the summer break. Dave, my back's flaring up again. I'm going to need you to pray for me. This is her words. Still doesn't believe. I'm going to need you to pray for me. 
Because what did they see? They saw one degree of glory. It manifested in their life. And all, like I said, it's the desire of a man reborn. It lit something in them. They may not be ready to make that jump yet. But what you have, I need. There's something when you pray. That was like three, four years ago. There's examples from last year, examples from two weeks ago. Of things they say when they, because they realize there's something about having a Christian in the building. Can we all say that about our, work, our place of work? I hope so. At every single place where we work, they can definitely say there is a difference when they are there and when they're not. There is a peace you carry. The other day, um, one of my, um, I don't know why I got all these stories from work. Someone I know, um, they felt quite ill. You know, obviously now, you know, if you cough now, everyone thinks it's, it's not the cold. It's not the fact we live in Britain. And it was just like coughing, coughing, coughing. And I remember walking through. Oh, don't come near me! Don't come near me! Oh, you know. And I said, "Hey, it's fine. I don't fear sickness." I just walked on. What do you mean? It goes against my religion. That's what I said. To fear sickness goes against my religion. Goes goes against my way of life. It goes against the way I. Because I found him. I found him. I found the healer. I've seen him heal in Norway when a girl who she couldn't walk without pain. She came to a rap concert. We laid hands on her. I saw her in the next morning at a prayer breakfast. And as I walked through the door, the first one said, No pain, no pain, no pain. I was like, what? And she's walking. And she's like, no pain for the first time in 20 odd years. I found the healer. So whether you believe in it or not, actually, I believe. So that's enough. How's your back? How's this? And I had a word of knowledge about the one with the back issue. One of the legs was too short. Have you ever realized? How did you know? Him again. <laughs> And, 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 you know, I, I do it like that because sometimes Christianity has been too threatening. It's, we bash them over the head with, thou must believe. Come on, man. How about we just display to them what glory looks like? You've been working in an office with one who is one with God. Who has a complete fullness of the Godhead inside of him. And I know even now as I'm saying that, some of the bricks in the room are feeling a little, oh, that's a bit arrogant. Can't say that, can you? No, 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 that is in the scripture. So I'm going to say it. I have the complete fullness of the Godhead on the inside of me. I'm the apple of his eye. He searches to and fro, seeing who he can do good through, and he picks me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I just don't want. There is no lack in my life. And I don't fear sickness. It goes against my religion. These are the things I encourage myself with. These are the things that keep the flame going. Even when you haven't seen the deliverance. And as everyone that I prayed for, have they all been healed? No. But that's a challenge to me to get closer. Because Jesus had 100%. So if I'm not at 100% yet, let me get closer to him. Let me learn a little bit more. Let me sit. Let me grow. And then we go back out in the field. Warning. Turn to your neighbor and say, warning. Warning. <laughs>
try and close real soon. Here's the warning. Principles without presence leads to perversion. Okay. Principles without presence leads to perversion. And unfortunately, in some areas of Christianity, that's how we built our way of life. Principles. I know I make the joke about 10 steps to victory. Step one, get with Jesus. Um, but we, if you have principles without presence, that's what opens the door for perversion. We've seen it in various movements, various revivals over time. Let it not be said of us here at CCF that we know more about sowing and reaping than we do the, the sower. Let it not be said of us that we know more about realms and prophetic portals than we do about the king himself. Let it not be said that we know more about the strategies of our enemy than we do the heart and nature of the risen saviour. Wow. I forgot how much more I've got. Anyway, I'm going to go through this as quick as I can. <clears throat> John 15, 5 to 7. Um, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers and dies. They gather such branches and throw them into the fire. They are burned. But 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, that is, if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Step two in the 10 steps to victory. Be vitally united. That's the phrase I've got here, vitally united. What does that mean? That the unity I have with him is more essential to my life worsen than the breath that I breathe. If I don't have him, life doesn't work. And I have found that. If I don't have him, life doesn't work. The grey is a little bit more grey in the sky. But with him, to be vitally united to him, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Links on to Ephesians 2.22. In him, I love this for us as a community. In him, and in fellowship with one another, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We've all tended to our fires in private for two years. We've been outside of church, we've been in our bedrooms, we've been in our front rooms, bedroom Baptists as they call it. Okay? We're ministering one to another via Zoom, via text messages, etc., etc. There's tended this fire in our own private lives, and then we come back together, and let's be honest, since we've come back here as a community, hasn't the worship since a little bit sweeter? There's something about it. That's because you guys didn't cheapen the treasures of the kingdom by not offering up personal sacrifice. Elder Deji gave us that instruction last year. Make sure you go beyond what's comfortable. And I believe we have done that as a church, and we are continuously doing that. And that's why the reward is a measure of presence, unlike what we've experienced before. So in him and in fellowship with one another, we have also been built into a dwelling place of God. Again, when the enemy comes over the mountainside, let him see that this church is a dwelling place of God. A church built in the image of a cross with the presence of God at its centre. Here's a story I heard uh, or saw it on Twitter recently. Whether it's true or not, I like what it says. So. A rabbi was discussing church history with a student 
the rabbi said, in the olden days, there were men who saw the face of God. Why don't they anymore? The student asked. I'm going to turn over to the crowd. Anyone got any responses? Anyone think, why don't they see the face of God anymore? What's the answer? Not looking? Come on, guys. They left his presence. They don't care. Not seeking. Not humble. Blinded. All great answers, guys. Because nowadays, no one stoops so low. Why don't they see the face of God? Because nowadays, no one stoops so low. No one has that fire to tear off everything. To tear off the clothes of a king and dance in the linen of a priest. That I might experience more of him. To not retreat to the hillsides outside Bethlehem. To find him in a field that thousands of years later would be the one in which he's born. To release a song into the atmosphere which is answered by angels thousands of years later. Could it not be that we release from this church a song into the atmosphere that dictates the next thousand years? Why not us? Why not us? That the prayers, the intercession that goes up dictates 20 years of government policy. Moves kings into place, moves princes out, rearranges things, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the nation. Because we are blessed to be a blessing. Because Abraham was in the place, everything was blessed. Because we're in this place, I want to see that the primary in this area has dropped. It's happening all across the world. I studied these revivals all across the world. There's one in Carolina where literally 50%, it was the biggest drop in history. As soon as the revival started, bang, the crime rate dropped by 50%. Because finally there were people there who were made in the image of God who would dare themselves to go from one level of glory to another level of glory to live lives in a place called secret. And if there would be such people in this place, just look at what he's about to do. We must come like a child. Thanks, Caleb. We must come like a child. I stoop low. This is what I discovered when I was on my fast recently. And we must stoop low. I thought I was stooping quite low. And he said to me, no, there's more. And in those two weeks, um, in January, I, by day three, I knew something was different. I just, wow. I've been in his presence just days before, but there was something different about the place called Secret and the yearning, the call. And all of a sudden, what it began to do was just set my life. It became the barometer by which my life is set. And then everything falls into order because as a household, we've decided his presence must be at the center. Whatever happens next, his presence 
must be at the centre for you to walk in. That's what the father said to me when I took the role as the worship pastor. He said, don't talk about it, don't tell them until I tell you. Six months ago, he said, right, you can now start telling them. I've been praying for this for four or five years, four years now. There was a measure of presence I intend for you to walk This is the promise he'd made to us as a church community, as a family. That is the promise. Now, what shall be our response? Will we stoop low that we might see the face of God? Will we stoop low that it might be said of us if they spoke with him face to face as a man would speak with his friend? Will we stoop low that it may be said of us that when others would have left, we stayed a little while? And the presence of God was here in this place. The power of God was present to heal. And the nation was changed. Can we just pray to end? Let's pray. You guys can pray. You know him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Father, that even now you're beginning to warm the hands and hearts of your people. Let it be said of us that we were those who walked to the presence of God. Let it be said of us that we saw you face to face. Father, whatever has been the barrier to personal sacrifice, whatever we have not laid down yet, let it be laid down. Whatever it is you've been tugging at us, tugging at our hearts, saying, this is what I want of you, let it be laid down. Whatever it is, Father, we will be one with you. We will be seen as one with you. We will be known as one with you. Walking in a glory unlike any other glory. The one that your son gave his life for us to have. To God be the glory. It's a little bit longer. It's a little bit longer. It's a little bit more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Your presence, your presence is so precious to us. We will not cheapen it. Glory be to your name. Son of God, be glorified. Son of God, be glorified. There's a, there's a song that I'm writing. Uh, haven't got much of it yet. But I wrote it as I was writing this sermon. And I'll just say the lyrics. It says, take me to the place that you call secret. Beyond the veil of comfort and the norm. Here I am, my heart exposed. Help me find the pathway to our home. Hold my hand so tight when I'm returning. Erase all doubts that you are by my side. 
Step by step, my strength returns. To walk the walk, but faith replaces sight. That's our testimony. To walk the walk, where faith replaces sight. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 